0: Hey everyone, how's it going? This is Anthony Kazenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast once again coming at you and I am with my usual co-host John Sheeran and we have... A ton to talk about tonight Um, and we're gonna get to that John how you doing have you have you digested everything are we we even caught up with everything based on what's happened this week already Um, I'm
1: just going just going through the headaches that I have man just (laughs) I've calmed down I guess but I think I've pissed off a lot of people in the process and to those people I guess I I apologize but um, the listeners here they know my view on the, the events that transpired. And I guess we're going to d- divulge into that a little deeper tonight.
0: Well, I need to pol- apologize as well uh, to you and to our listeners because uh, number one, I played a, a cruel trick on everyone yesterday <laughs> and I, I set the uh, I set our live YouTube and Google Hangouts at the wrong time. Uh, and it made it seem like the, the, show was going to be yesterday afternoon evening so i apologize to you john i apologize i said there were some people already waiting to to join us i saw on the live youtube chat so those of you who were there i apologize total brain fart on my end uh had everything else set up i think correctly but uh, one of those weeks where you know like i said ton of news and a, a lot to catch up on and i think unfortunately i just minor oversight on a detail there, but hopefully all of you who tried to join us yesterday are joining us tonight and or will be listening to this show uh, later in the week on the number of platforms on Art19, on YouTube, cincyjungle.com, Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. I also have to apologize for another thing, I was running a, a little late this week to get us started. We're, we're about, I think, 10 minutes behind when we normally start, and that is my fault. I apologize. I kind of had a – I told John I had a family day at the uh, – I don't know if I'm allowed to say their name on uh, on a publication or a on, on the radio waves. But uh, I was at the happiest place on earth today. We did a family day. The one
1: on the West Coast.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the West Coast one, not the not the uh, the Southeast one. Um, I was there, uh, took my son for the first time there, and and did some things. So it was pretty fun. And of course, for those of you who know anything about Southern California, we ran into traffic on the way home and uh, took longer than expected. But uh, hustled back, and we're bringing you the show regardless. Because as we said earlier, gigantic week for the Cincinnati Bengals. I guess we can start with. The, the bad or the necessary new it's it was a necessary move you don't like to see someone lose their livelihood or anything like that but let's start with kind of the uh-oh part and that is Ter- Terrell Austin being fired as the Bengals defensive coordinator now there is so much to say about this there is so much to digest and and uh talk about with Austin I think that the main point here defensive the Bengals defa- defensive coordinator has overseen a unit that has over the has basically set an NFL record a dubious record for the most yards given up over four consecutive games yes those are some of the most explosive offenses in the NFL in the Chiefs the Steelers uh, even the Buccaneers and then obviously the Saints but it, I mean pretty awful and and despite even the yards john n- no sacks no turnovers against the saints no sacks no turnovers against the sealers i think there was there were two sacks and interception and garbage time against kansas city and uh you know they they did get to and create some turnovers in that buccaneers game but one and three stretch awful pl- football played on that side of the ball necessary move correct
1: for i mean for sure um uh, I remember retweeting something about maybe a week or two ago about the three worst defenses in the in the NFL in terms of expected points allowed was the Chiefs, the Saints, and the Rams. I think it was like three of the four or whatever. Those are all the b- three best teams in the league, but they also have offenses that can carry the load if their defense is giving up a lot of yards. And obviously the Bengals' offense right now it has been struggling since that Atlanta game. So when you combine the offensive struggles – with one of the worst defense, maybe the worst defense in the NFL was obviously a recipe for disaster. And that's why, you know, Terrell Austin had to be held accountable for his just lack of game plan, his lack of, you know, integrating scheme with players. And I think that was something that we also learned um, this week is that there was some finger pointing in the building about how Austin wasn't exactly connecting with his players. He was changing things too erratically, and there wasn't a true connection and chemistry with his players. And obviously that's obviously a huge issue because not only you have so many injuries on the defensive front, but if you can't get all the guys on the same, on the same page, if you can't get them f- for a single goal and you have your scheme jumping around, you know, from week to week and nothing's really set in stone, it's obviously going to lead to a lot of confusion on the field and going to lead to a lot of big plays allowed. And that's exactly what, you know, the the chiefs, the Buccaneers and the saints did to them. And if it wasn't for James Winston completely imploding for a first half, it could have been a lot worse at this point. And Austin might've gotten fired. at at the bye week, which would have made a lot of sense because they would have been forward four, and they would have had, you know, a a tumultuous blown lead or whatever, but yeah, the, the, the move was necessary and it was refreshing to see the Bengals do this. And I think at least I expected that, you know, a guy like Jim Haslett would be the one promoted defensive coordinator. So then, you know, Having Marvin take over as the de facto defensive coordinator was also a good move because, you know, j- just an early sign of practice. He's connecting with the defensive players on a more personal level, I guess, in, in terms of going over them and just t- the, the, going to the basic tackling techniques. And it just looks like he's more comfortable with um, being in, in, in a role that he obviously has experience and well experienced with. So both of the moves, I think netted positive results in the short term and for the best of their ability to kind of, salvage what, what group they have on defense.
0: Yeah, I, I like what you said about the offense. I'm going to actually uh, talk about that in just a second. But you also mentioned, you know, Austin maybe doing some things that would cause the defense to overthink, to overadjust, not enough adjustments. Whatever the case may be, but there was an interesting column by Albert Breer of the Monday Morning Quarterback, which is part of Sports Illustrated. Um, there were essentially there was a quote he had. Um, Those in the building saw Austin as a guy who put too much volume in too quickly and was too reactionary on a week to week basis which kept the unit from developing an identity. Um, And then he quoted somebody else, a Bengals staff member saying that it was, it had become a disaster. There was a lot of finger pointing, all of that stuff took place. And obviously when that kind of, when those issues pop up and that room full of high picks, pro bowl players, all of that, when that starts occurring, a change needs to be made. Uh, And, and you're absolutely correct. There were just, uh, you know, We've talked about that basically since the first week of the season this year about how this defense was feast or famine and in terms of sacks and, and turnovers forced, both positively and negatively. And then we also talked about how, um, you know, it's, it's just the way they're playing, that style of play, the amount of yards and points they were giving up, causing the offense to come back late in games, all that kind of stuff. It just wasn't a sustainable way of winning. Now, Jerry uh, B- Austin's gone. We're going to talk about the change that subsequently happened with that. I think we everybody can agree that um, it was a necessary move. Before we talk about the offense, John, quickly, are you surprised that the Bengals, usually a slow moving franchise, usually a conservative franchise, are you surprised that they made this move mid season uh, again? For those who remember last year they they got rid of Ken Zampezi, I think two or three games into the season. That was the first time ever they had fired a an assistant coach in the middle of the year. Then they do it again the very next year. It's the second time ever. So are you surprised? Does that point to this Lewis negotiation, contract negotiation this this offseason where he got a little more sway? What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think I, th- I think we've established that this franchise is willing to do necessary things when their backs are against the wall and against the Buccaneers. I think we talked about it. The total capacity in that stadium was about, or the total attendance in that stadium was about 46,000. And it was almost a loss because of Austin's terrible defense. And then against the saints, a 37 point loss and basically a half filled stadium. I think at that point, even a guy like Mike Brown would say, Hey, I, we, we got to do something because at this point, the season's going this way. Fans aren't aren't showing up. Something needs to change. And the fact that they did make NFL history as the first defense to allow three consecutive 500-yard games. I think all those circumstances really boiled up to one final conclusion that even a conservative franchise like the Bengals would have to face at that point. And now we're saying all this, and we, they still employ a head coach who's 0 six or 0 seven in the playoffs. So you know, you ca- call these statements moot if you want, but they but they have shown that in desperate times, they're willing to make the, the bare minimum necessary changes to do so. And I think, like, last year when they fired St. Pease, they didn't score a touchdown the first two games. That also qualifies as, like, a desperate scenario for them to make change. And this, is, I, I think, also qualifies as that, because if they don't do this, then there's a strong likelihood that they might not even finish about five hundred.
0: Uh, true. Um, and it seemed – I mean, there was a comment, I think, for, it was from Andrew Seiler in the – In the live YouTube chat who said Perfect hated him. Apparently he didn't want him in the building and didn't want to play for him. I don't know if I've heard that specifically, but I do remember the video clip. I believe it was Jeremy Rausch, the the local uh, beat reporter in the Cincinnati area who who, who got a clip of Perfect after that. Last second loss to the Steelers, complaining about a play call that they never even run in practice, and that was at the most crucial time in the game—the Antonio Brown touchdown that ended up, you know, winning it. So, um, but that—I mean, that's pretty interesting. There, a move that needed to be made, as you said. I, I think some people were surprised just because it's just not in the Bengals' mo. They're—they're—they're they're, they're not. a a modern team in a lot of senses. They don't operate as like a modern franchise in a lot of senses. So, um, I mean, it it was surprising from that, from that Mm -hmm. standpoint. Um, So we'll we'll get to the offense. I keep, I keep teasing that we'll get to the offense in just a second, because I want to tie that in with another move that the Bengals made, but now taking over, for defensive coordinator is Marvin Lewis after right after he basically fired Terrell Austin. um, He said, I'm going to be taking over as defensive coordinator. There are so many questions I want to ask you about this. The first, because you wrote about it on cincyjungle.com is about uh, the uh, Jim Hazlitt, the linebackers coach. You had said he would be the, the most natural fit. Um, for a team or for the team to go to after Austin's gone, after Austin was let go. Right. Um, he has defensive coordinator experience. He has NFL head coach experience. He, he's a he's a veteran guy. It just seemed to make sense. But so your thoughts on now, I mean, I, th- I don't know if a lot of people thought Marvin was going to take over the reins. I think, I think a lot of people thought Hazlitt or I don't know, somebody else. Um, your thoughts on, Hazlitt kind of being passed over for this was it was it a smart move to let him be what he's you know keep what he's doing at the, with the linebackers or would he have been a more viable viable option than Marvin Lewis?
1: I think in the traditional sense, Haslett made the most sense because I mean typically you know the Browns I guess are. Are a unique example because they went to Freddie kitchens as their new offensive coordinator. When they fired uh, Todd Haley kitchens, never had play calling experience. Right. And last year when they fired, when the Bengals fired Sam Peasy, they went to laser because at the very least, he was the one guy on the offensive staff that had play calling experience because he did it with the dolphins um, a few years back. So Hazlitt had that defensive coordinator experience that made him the most logical candidate over over the guys they have in the secondary and over Jay Hayes, or excuse me, um, uh, Robert, Robert Burney on the, on the defensive line. So Hazlitt's experience made him the like the default choice. But I think, and I guess we're going to talk about this uh, uh, next, the, the move for Marvin to declare himself as the de facto defensive coordinator was not only a power move, but it was also kind of a, a, kind of a move to really show and validate his value still to the team. In terms of hey, you like, I, I, I'm the head coach. I'm basically the head coach for as long as I want to be. But it was almost like you know, if, if, if Austin can't do this, who we you know acclaimed in the offseason and how he was going to change everything and make them better, and that utterly failed. He was basically like fine, like I'll, I'll do it myself. He was basically like Thanos when he reached for the infinity goal, and I think Joe Kimberry also did that as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was it, it was a sense of Hazlitt being logical in the judicial sense of how they would promote from within and move on in these t- sort of situations but lewis having the power that he has to do these kinds of things and obviously the experience that he has as a defensive coordinator also made him a choice that i guess none of not a lot of us realized he was capable of making because we don't normally see this like it's like obviously some head coaches like john gruden they have play calling like powers as the head coach but we don't normally see like you know, coaches do this not only midseason, but also take the reins from the defensive side of the ball. But obviously, Marvin has experience doing this, even though it was a while ago. And I, I, I guess even if you compare him to Hasley, he's the most qualified guy to do so because of of his resume as as a defensive coordinator.
0: So, as Marvin, it's it's not common in this day and age of of head coaches taking over multiple play calling duties or, you know, being the head coach and then calling the plays. I mean, I think Mike Zimmer calls the defense for the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Sean McVay has a, has a hand in with the Rams on offense. That's kind of his forte. I don't know if, I don't know if offhand he calls the plays, but um, I mean, it's, it's just not very commonplace that a head coach takes care of this. So our, where do you stand in terms of Lewis's ability to impact the room? Because on one hand, you have guys like Vontez Perfect who have called him like a father figure at times. And you have, uh, you know, you have others that, you know, uh, this team, the guys like him. I mean, I I think – we can complain all we want about them losing big in big games and they're not prepared and all that kind of stuff. And and we can point to Marvin about that. And that's, you know, I think there's validity in that, but there's the one side where you kind of think, Hey, you know what, these guys will play for him. And now that he really has a hand in that room, he's going to be, maybe he had it at an arm's length. And now he's really going to be in there and talking to everybody and, and working to the respective strengths. Um, it we could see an improvement. The other side is, The, um, uh, gosh, if you saw me jump, I had like a bug. That was weird. Uh, it was like, freaked me out. Um, the other side of it, of the coin though, is, you know, he hasn't called plays for a very long time. He hasn't been a defensive coordinator for, I don't know, 17 years. Yeah. 2002 with the Redskins was, uh, the last time. So, I mean, I guess where do you stand on, Hey, He was an incredibly successful defensive coordinator, built one of the best defenses the NFL has ever seen. These guys like seem to like him. They may play hard for him. Or, like many facets we've seen with Lewis and the Bengals at times, he might be out of touch because of time being away from being an actual defensive coordinator.
1: I mean, to that point, I think, at least in the Andy Dalton era, usually the Bengals could rely on their defense to keep them in games. And then the problems have always been, dawn could have a bad week, and then they're just they just have no chance of winning. So now the issue becomes the offense has to carry the defense because of how awful they've been, and that also has to do with personnel, but also just the post Zimmer era has been rough in terms of, uh, of just not establishing dominance in the way that Marvin Lewis teams usually are. So I do think that with Marvin kind of taking things over, n- not only it. it so going back to the first part, I guess, if you're going to make this change in midseason, I would say that the players would rally around Lewis more than they would Hazlitt. And that's a, that's an area, uh, that's an aspect that I guess I didn't really think enough of when they fired Austin because, as you said, Lewis is a player's coach. Players love him. And, you know, because they're doing this in midseason, right, you have the guys that you have. The trade deadline's passed. There's no one left on the market to pick up. You have, you have to do the best with the guys that you have and in order to do, in order to do that, when the defense is in the state that this is, you have to find someone that they can rally around, and who better than you know the head coach that everyone in that locker room seems to like. You know, no one's going to say anything bad about Marvin Lewis, even if you know us, we can critique him all the, all the all we want. Players in that locker room gravitate towards him, and in a scenario like this where things look dire and their backs up are up against the wall, there might not be a better person in that room to kind of rally them together and get the absolute most out of them. And in terms of just him being away from the defense coordinator for a while, yeah, he's seen the game evolved. And I think most of our gripes ha- with him have to do with game management and, you know, pressure situations on offense and just winning the game in that, in that kind of sense. But again, we always kind of counted on the Bengals' defense, at least in the Marvin Lewis era, to, to be, you know, the pseudo strength of them. So I, I think in, in both senses, he was like the best option that they had to get everybody to come together and play as a unit for the first time all season, while, you know, things are kind of bleak. And, you know, I I guess we have to trust that he recognizes what the weaknesses are are on the defense. Won't change up things too much for people will get lost in the process and kind of build to the best of his ability, a salvageable defense, I, I suppose.
0: So, yeah, that's where I was going with this to kind of wrap a bow on Marvin, the Marvin Lewis talk. Um, I mean, obviously, it can't get much worse than what it was doing. I mean, it was historically bad, literally, uh, under Terrell Austin. So really nowhere to go but up. I thought this was a really funny tweet from uh, a good friend, Daddy O McDuck. Uh, (laughs) uh, He said this the other day. Marvin Lewis was defensive coordinator of the 2000 Ravens. They gave up 10.3 points, 60.6 rushing yards, and 187.3 passing yards per game. The 2018 Bengals give up 32 points. 141.2 141.2 rushing yards and 313 passing yards per game. I'm willing to meet halfway. <laughs> so, I, and I think, I mean, I, I know he was maybe saying that a little tongue in cheek, but hell yeah. I mean, at this point, I, I, I think that that would be, and in this day and age, being a, you know, a, a more offensive friendly league, I think, yeah, that that would be very good if Lewis was to do that. Do you think, I think we'll see improvement. Do you think we'll see marked marked improvement? Do you think we'll see vast improvement, and or do you think it'll be kind of marginal?
1: Yeah, Daddy's Twitter game has really improved ever since he met me. But don't don't tell him I said that. Um, yeah, I, I think. Well, when you compare his, defense, I will. I will tell him that. Though. <laughs> I think when you compare. Lewis's defense of the Ravens you're you're thinking of the professional level of like the early 2000s you right it's like there's nothing ever comes close to that unit and just the the level of talent that's on it and I look at the Bengals and you're thinking that you know there's still talent here when, when everyone's healthy obviously they've had issues that linebackers seem healthy with vigil and perfect they've had issues in the secondary with losing uh Darko Zanard for multiple weeks and Draker Patrick in and out and then obviously you lost Carl Austin and, and your pass rush is weaker than it was before. So no, I don't think that they're going to be anywhere close to the top 10 by year's end. Obviously it's thinking in that 20 to 16 range, you know, with the, with the landscape of where defenses are, you know, it's not, I I, I don't think they're too far off to climb back into that region. And also as our own Matt Minich, uh, um, he has an article coming out about this. The Bengals, Uh, schedule in terms of opposing offenses gets better because they were on a stretch of playing the Saints, Buccaneers, Chiefs, whatever. They're going to play you know, the the Ravens, and we'll get to that game later. They're going to play the Browns twice. They're going to play the Broncos. They're going to play the Raiders. They're going to play a lot of favorable matchups, a lot of them at home, by the way, against offenses that they can not implode on. And I think that's all that we're asking for now is that they don't give up over 400 yards a game. They keep... The game competitive for an offense that's that is still struggling to at least find a way to win the game and i think that's all that we can ask for at this point we can't expect them to reach in the 50 sacks so that's out of the window we you know we we just have to hope that if they capitalize on turnovers and they just don't give the game away and that's what we've
0: seen the past four weeks it took the words out of my mouth about the schedule that's uh you know and you know uh (laughs) when it comes time to reassess the end of the season and wins and uh should Marvin stay all that kind of stuff this is this is the type of stretch where all of a sudden you play the Browns twice you play the Raiders you play the Broncos uh you play a four and five Ravens team that you have large success over um you know, all of a sudden you start getting the wins and then you get towards that nine and seven type of range towards the end of the year, which is uh, wild cardish in this week AFC behind the, the division leaders. All of a sudden now it's like, oh, there's a You know, Marvin did a good job. And, you know, there's going to be a spike uh, of improvement potentially on the defense because of the schedule. So, um, you know, there's kind of going to be a little bit of fun narratives towards the end of the uh, end of the year, probably largely because of these games. Um, I did, I did want to note that Marvin uh, is taking over the defense at a pretty bad time because the three guys that we thought were going to be the start, were slated as the starting linebackers in base packages and whatnot at the beginning of the season, Preston Brown, Vontez Perfect and Nick Vigil are all banged up right now. Perfect has missed the last couple of games with a hip injury. Vigil's been out with a sprained knee ligament. And then this week, apparently Preston Brown is wearing a knee brace and uh, is, uh, did not practice this week. Um, and if you remember correctly, uh, Brown missed, I think, a game or two earlier in the season as well. I think it was after the uh, after the Ravens game. Mm-hmm. Um, he missed a couple of games there too. So that unit has been just – decimated by injury and it sounds like it's not really gonna get too much better this week we'll see as the week progresses though this is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast he's john sharon i'm anthony kazenza you can get this program on itunes youtube on google play on stitcher at cincy jungle uh get all the get all of of our content and on art 19 as well um a lot of different a lot of different ways to get the show and uh if you are If you're new tuning in live, we appreciate having you. We'll get to some questions at the end of the show. We've already got one in the Cincy Jungle comment threads. We've got some in the live YouTube chat. Keep sending them our way. You can also text them to us on the the Orange and Black insider line, 949-542-6241. Or you can call us later in the program and we will get your call. But uh, we are taking texts at least at this point, and then calls later, 949-542-6241. So, John, the other big news, and it's funny because we had a, a I think it was a couple weeks ago, we had a listener ask us, and we did it we, in our listener question segment. They asked us, is Hugh Jackson going to return to Cincinnati? And we're like, we kind of were like, well, we get it because there's, there's so much connection and all this kind of stuff, but there's not room. And look, you know, it's just, there's not a fit. Well, two weeks later, Hugh Jackson rejoins the Cincinnati Bengals as the Dwight Schroot of, uh, of the Cincinnati Bengals special assistant to the head coach. Um, let's talk about overall impressions. Are you surprised? Um, are you embarrassed uh, to, to call yourself a Bengals fan when when this move takes place? What, what just your initial impressions or uh, when when you heard the news? Uh,
1: I see the I see thirty one other teams and fan bases all in synchronized laughter, and <laughs> and yeah, I, I am a little bit embarrassed. It's the first time I really felt any shame about being a Bengals fan since that playoff loss because. This is a guy Pablo Torre of ESPN said it perfectly on, on their show high noon the other day, huge J- Cincinnati Bengals are home for Hugh Jackson. And when I say that it, it's home because it's the place that he goes when he loses his job. And that after when, when he got fired from the Raiders, Mike Brown of the Bengals gave him a job as like the assistant secondary head coach or assistant defensive backs coach, you know, some, some made up title, some, something far on, on down on the pedestal. He rose up the offensive coordinator, got a job with cleveland people people have told me on twitter i don't care what he did in cleveland he's here now he does good here i care about what he did in cleveland i not not just because of the three wins and in, in two and a half seasons but because of the way that he composed himself because of the way that he basically told on himself multiple times lied deflect blame all while not doing any progress in cleveland And then we've seen how Cleveland, specifically Baker Mayfield, has improved since Hugh has left them. All these factors tell me that I don't want this guy anywhere near the organization, primarily because I know that he's valued here and that he would have some type of long-term, some type of future here beyond just whatever made-up title that, that they gave him. With all that said, in a vacuum, Hugh Jackson helping out Marvin Lewis with you know, whatever he's going to do on the defensive side of the ball. It makes sense because of the connection that they both have. It makes sense because he has experience with most of the coaches on the staff and at least some of the players. But as a fan, as a person, I can't look past the future implications of him with this team because no other team in the NFL would dare give him a job with the way that he left Cleveland. And I think that matters with this. And people are saying, I don't care about that because, you know, I'm a fan of the Bengals and this is my team and I know how the way they do things. And I know that Hugh has value here with him being here. It makes him a threat for Marvin Lewis's job. And we all want eventually Marvin Lewis to move on, but anyone, but Hugh, man, anyone, but Hugh. And now that he's back here, it puts him in prime position to eventually become the heir to Marvin Lewis. I don't think that's what anyone wants. And people aren't, people are willing to look past that just for the short term, but me personally, I just, I I, I can't do that just because of who he is and just how he's composed himself and just the general narrative of Hugh Jackson itself. And I just didn't want anything to do with it, but now we have to talk about it because it happened.
0: Right. Uh, I I understand everything you're saying. I really do. And... um... I, oddly enough, I never watched that show you referenced. I don't even remember the name of it. Uh with I knew. I knew. Yeah, yeah, with, with Pablo and uh, Bomani, right? Yeah. Um, randomly, I just was flipping through channels last night. And I think the rerun was on and they were talking about it. I will say, yes, they were kind of doing the little bit of, of jabs at the Bengals, and, you know, about Hugh landing. Uh, that's his, that's his safety net when he's out of a job, which is not inaccurate, but I will say, I, I will say that I, I think I heard them both say that they think he will have some sort of a positive impact on the Bengals um, at at the end of that segment. So I think a lot of people want to get their jokes in. They want to get their jabs in, and there are a lot to to throw at them. But I do think there's some value here. And I I want to say this, and I don't mean to be totally contrarian to what you're saying because, like I said, I I do agree with a lot of what you just said about Hugh. But this is a guy who headed an offense – we'll get to that in a second – Headed an offense that was one of the best the team has ever fielded in 2015. This is a guy who probably has quite a good rapport with a lot of players on that team. Obviously has good rapport with the head coach. Um, I'm a little worried about the ill-defined nature of the role, but uh, you know, I, I, I like that aspect. And you know what? What I like, which is also not Bengals-like, we talked about the Bengals not doing something that's not normally what they do in – firing a coach in the middle of the season not only do they do that they could have lewis could have just said i'm doing defensive coordinator duties and that's it well he probably noticed that there could be possible shortcomings on the staff and how the team is going to move forward with him concentrating on that and that is something that a lot of people have ragged on about lewis his sometimes poor in-game management his poor ability, it's gotten better lately, but his poor ability with challenges at times, um, reviewing plays, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and that stuff where could either, even further fall down, fall by the wayside without another set of eyes to re- help him with Austin being gone. So, in those respects, I can say, well, what, you know, what's. I don't see a harm. I don't see harm in it. I, I get there's it's you know kind of uh, media fodder, I guess, for for making fun of the team and oh he was going back to the Bengals, big surprise. But um, I do think it's a move that that will help the team again. Kind of like the Lewis as defensive coordinator thing. I don't know to what extent it could be a marginal thing, but at this point, when you're five and four, marginal and and, and things aren't going too great over this past it's technically five weeks, but past four game stretch. Marginal improvements is something, um, and that'll that can sometimes mean the difference between being eight and eight and staying home, or nine and seven and going to the playoffs. Um, so, I, I I do see value in the move. Um, <laughs> I, I guess where I want to go here is on Wednesday when he when Lewis was asked to talk about. Jackson and what his role is going to be. It was very ambiguous. Um, but he did say that Jackson's role will, quote, be separate from the offense, which is odd to me because Jackson, yeah, he's helped out in the secondary in the past. Yeah, he's been head coach in, at two different places where he has had a hand in the defense, obviously. But he's known as more of an offensive coach, a quarterback's coach, a wide receiver's coach. I understand that the defense needs as much help as it can get right now. Mm -hmm. But uh, especially, and this is where I I teased it forever. I I wanted to talk about the offense. Um, Especially with the offense really hitting some dry spells lately. Um, Wouldn't it be better if he kind of was kind of spread out over the team, including being on offense and getting another – Set of eyes, or is that just kind of a thing where, hey, let's not let's not muddy the waters over there. Let's not get weird over there. Let's really focus on retooling the defense.
1: Yeah, I think that his title specifically, what special assistant to the head coach. The head coach is now the de facto defensive coordinator. So if he's okay. going to be working with the head coach, it makes sense to keep him on the on the defensive side of the ball. And also, I I, I think I also saw this on Twitter as well. There there was a talk about. What he would be doing with the defense with Marvin Lewis is basically giving him a perspective from the offensive side of the ball because he has experience as a play call as a play caller as a quarterback as a former quarterback and just has as an offensive mind. You know, in the general discourse, you know, maybe in a mid game situation, he would give insight about what he would do in a situation against the, a, a, a coverage or a scene that Lewis is deploying, and they would go back and forth and they would kind of work off that. So basically, Jackson is giving him a different. Jackson is giving Lewis as a defensive play caller, a different mindset about how he can attack something during, during the game and potentially give him some type of mid game adjustment. So again, in a vacuum, Jackson makes sense in this kind of role because at this point, Lewis is not only the head coach, but he's he's one of the main coordinators on the team. He's got a lot of responsibility on him. So it makes sense to kind of brush some of that off in the best way possible to get someone that you trust to handle some of these situations that, if you were doing this alone, then you, would might, you might be struggling with. And for the offensive side of the ball, I, I, I'll say this. Because Hugh was the offensive coordinator, coordinator here last time, because the Bengals organization seems to like Bill Laser, I think they're giving laser space from Hugh to make sure that Lazor doesn't quite feel, un- at the very least, uncomfortable that the former offensive coordinator is back in the building. And to, they're basically giving Hugh like as little power as possible. And to expand that power right when he walks into the door, it might give off the wrong message to a guy like Laser who's still trying to find his way with the group that he's that that he has right now. And basically giving Laser like a like a seven week pure audition as to complete control of the offense and you know late game late game clock management situations that I guess Lewis won't will have at least less responsibility with. And to kind of separate Hugh from all of that is would be in Laser's best interest it makes sense as to as to why they're kind of handling it like that.
0: Lewis said, uh, these were some quotes in a press conference he had on Wednesday, uh, talking about Hugh Jackson. He'll continue to look at things analytically. He has a lot more exposure to that than I've had. (laughs) That's a, that is is a really interesting statement. Uh, I mean, moving on, I guess there's, there's, Uh, So that's helpful because we have the data and just how to continue to use the data correctly. And he's been involved in that quite a bit. Um, Again, separate from the offense. And then he continued that, that that is just a, he
1: just told on himself.
0: (laughs) That is a ridiculous sequence of of sentences right there. Uh, The preciseness of things and helping with that as we go to the practice field and making sure things are as precise as the opponent hopes to have it. Um, Again, really odd sentence. Um, and then uh, he can help in an administrative type of way, I guess. Uh, I, I, maybe what he's pointing to in that first set of, of sentences is the fact that the Browns really sold out in recent years on the uh, the what do you call it? The analytics, like the stuff that's that the uh, the base that baseball's been using. Uh, I, I can't think of the name off.
1: Favorite metrics.
0: Thank you. Yes. Um, maybe maybe he's talking more about that, which. Even so, that I don't know. That that's just a ridiculous, ridiculous sentence. Um, The thing is, though, John, you know, you talked about maybe the Bengals using the white glove treatment a little bit on Bill Lazor. I did some math. The starting offensive unit against the Steelers, the Chiefs, and the Saints—all explosive offenses, all supposedly terrible defenses—averaging twelve point seven points a game on offense. That's it. Um, And granted, some of the other wins. Miami, uh, Tampa Bay, they ha- uh, uh, Indianapolis, they had defensive touchdown returns to help pad their score. Mm-hmm. Those three games against elite teams with very supposedly weak defenses, they, they averaged 12.7 points a game. I mean, I, I get that the focus this week is on the defense, but there's a lot of problems going on on offense. Yes, it's injuries. Yeah, the offensive line has been up and down, but that is scary.
1: No, for sure, and we're definitely on the same page here. Like, as much credit or as much flack that we gave the defense, the offense hasn't been doing their part in the slightest. And even if the defense was slightly better, the offense hasn't given the team a, a chance to win. Even if you know they don't, the the defense doesn't give as up as many points as they do, and that falls on Dalton. That falls on Laser, and you have to wonder how much influence Lewis still had as a play caller in those, you know, third and one or, or third and short, fourth and short uh, late game situations and how much freedom laser has now to kind of do his own thing and just do his part in terms of sustaining drives and creating more flow and using his personnel better. And we don't, I, I, I we, we will never know how much influence Lewis had in these first nine games and over the past four games. But now I, I think we could see a difference in terms of just how the game is run how the plays are called, which guys are used in a complete and total Bell Laser offense. And I guess because because at, at this point I was a critic of, you know, Laser had to be the one with, with, with the blame with, with how the offense has struggled because he, despite the injuries, you know, like you said, there were still defenses that could have been exploited and they just haven't. And part of, a lot of it's on Dalton as well because he played one of his worst games, of the season against the saints and the saints are just like 30th against the pass. It was inexcusable of how little that he was able to do. I get, he was without AJ green, but part of that falls in Dalton. part of that falls in laser, at least at the surface level. But now I guess this is like the setting point to kind of differentiate both halves of the season in terms of just uh, general power over the offense. And if we see a difference, then I guess we'll be able to draw more conclusions about those preconcept preconce- preconceived notions that we had about you know, who was controlling what on the offense. And if they improve, then we can feel good about it. But if they don't, then we can really start to question if Lasers the guy to run the offense.
0: So quickly, uh, we've got a couple more things to get to, uh, John. Um, obviously, this is an important piece of news this week. But quickly, do you think this hire points to Hugh Jackson becoming the air head coach after Lewis steps down?
1: I have to believe so, just because of when when Hugh left, there were reports that you know there was a secession plan with Hugh Jackson becoming Marvin's heir, but Hugh decided to go to Cleveland, screw everything, screw everything up there, and now he's back. I I, I just M- Mike Brown is not the kind of guy that really changes his mind, and so late in, in or I don't want to say I don't want to be morbid, but he's getting up there in age, and he can't imagine he's going to live for more than ten years beyond this, so. You know, he's he's always been comfortable with Marvin Lewis running the show. And he's always been resistant to finding someone at least outside of the organization to replace him. Having Hugh back in the fold, I would assume, brings him comfort with the relationship that he has with him. And at this point, he has to be the favorite. If there's anybody who's going to take over for Lewis after his contract expires in 2019, it has to be Hugh. Like, they like to promote from within. You know, they might not be in a situation where they have to bring someone from the outside, or at least they feel like they don't have to bring someone from the outside. You know, they're comfortable with that situation, and the last time we heard, they were comfortable with Hugh taking over. So now that he's back, now that they have him, and he's not ruining some other organization, it it, it just becomes the most likely scenario. So I, that that is why I was upset with bringing him in. That's why I didn't want it to happen because this is the reality that we have to face now and. I just believe that we'll learn about it sooner rather than later.
0: B hearty in the live YouTube chat says Hugh has been a great assistant coach all over the NFL. It can't hurt and to be honest, Cleveland was trending upwards. I don't know about that, but No, no. no. I mean I mean I I don't I don't know if they're trending upwards. I will say and we've said this on the show before there were four games that the Browns either lost or tied that were one, one possession games early in this season. Um, you can point that to that as either a positive and moving in the right direction, or you can point to that as an indictment of poor coaching. Um, so really, I mean, that's, that's kind of whatever you want to take out of that. And then Jeff, I believe it's Jeff. Andy said, uh, Paul Brown was an old school football guy. Mike Brown is a cheap businessman that inherited a franchise. Mike can't carry his dad's legacy because he doesn't know how that's a good segue into one quick little segment that, uh, we're, we're talking about, we're going to be talking about, and it's a little off the cuff. We didn't prep for this, John, but, uh, again, I want to give a shout out to, uh, I believe it was B Harty. Um, because like I said, I was, uh, away from the news today. Uh, so I couldn't really see a lot of stuff. And uh, unfortunately, I don't really know this young lady who is a local Cincinnati uh, per- per- news personality. But B. Hardy tipped uh, tipped us off here saying, Megan, Mon- I think it's Mongeo, Mongio from Ch- Channel 12, tweeted, indoor practice facility approved by Bengals in Hamilton County. Well, let me let me back up. It's not approved, so it doesn't mean it's moving forward. But this is a kind of a big deal. It says, according to – Commit, this is going back to Megan's uh, Twitter account, and she's at Megan Mongeo, uh on Twitter. According to Commissioner Portune, Bengals will pay, quote, at its sole cost and expense for new new indoor practice facility. Uh, but Bengals PR says the lease agreement with county gives them to op- the option to build an indoor practice facility, but no specific plans at this time. Encouraging, not really news. What, what's your take on it, John?
1: Well, from what I heard, I think they like took the thirty million off the county's hand in order to to like purchase that land or whatever, and they're like putting it off for like the like the end of their lease or whatever. Uh, but I also I don't think I I don't think we ever heard that they had plans to do it because they're an NFL organization. They're 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 one of the more they're one of the fifty most um, profitable or most valuable organizations in the world. If they wanted a practice facility by now, they could have had one, but they chose to obviously share one with the University of Cincinnati in a bubble that's only open for about five months out of the year. This was a nice move by them. I'll give them credit for that, you know, to, to, to take a little pressure off of Hamilton County. But I I don't think this, is, this will lead to them doing something that they've just never done before, even if they have the prime opportunity to do so, because Mike is an old dog, and you can't really teach him new tricks in that sense. So good move by them, but I don't think it means much going forward for doing something that every other team north of them of Cincinnati has
0: yeah I mean they've done some baby steps in terms of I think they've added some some newer and nicer screens in the stadium a few years back they revamped the the weight weight room and the locker rooms and all that stuff to kind of give them a facelift and they look nice and I I remember the players using social media kind of bragging about how they looked and all that kind of stuff so I mean there's little little things um I think this indoor practice facility is something that not only the team needs but is, is an attractant to outside free agents. You know, I mean, it's, it's something when you pursue an outside free agent and you don't have this, and per, perhaps someone like Minnesota, because Mike Zimmer and Marvin Lewis probably like to covet similar players in free agency. Minnesota has it. Cincinnati doesn't. That may, that may make a difference to, to an outside free agent coming uh, to a potential team. Who knows? But it is a sign, again, we talked about this team not really – Oh, kept keeping up with the times in a lot of respects, and this this seems to be one of those things.
1: But have you ever seen Minnesota's facility, though? I it have not. A, it was like built like two years ago when the new stadium was. It's it's gorgeous. It's I like it, it's got all the, like the, the offices and stuff along with the field. It's more than just a practice facility. And I just there's just no reality that the Bengals are ever going to dish out that much money to invest in their players and coaches. Unfortunately,
0: yeah, it's sad. I mean, if if, if it's just a sad. Sad reality to face, I guess, uh, as, as a Bengals fan and, and as a Bengals employee. You would think that – I mean, you, the coaches don't uh, – these are older coaches, some of these guys. They don't like being out in the cold in the snow oh, and all that sure. kind of stuff. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a harsh reality to face. Something may be changing uh, in the near future based on these tweets. Again, thank you to B. Hardy and our uh, – in our live YouTube chat for a little bit of the tip-off there. I hadn't seen that, but I, as as I read that, I looked on her Twitter account and saw that. And uh, very interesting. Obviously, if something happens, we will keep you updated on this show and as well as uh, on Cincy Jungle. Speaking of cincyjungle.com, you can get our show there. You can get it on Art19, iTunes, you can get it on YouTube, you can get it on Google Play and Stitcher, so please do so. We've received a lot of feedback uh, and and a lot of new subscribers lately, so thank you very much for that. We're going to be taking, we're still taking texts throughout the show, show, uh, so if you want to get in touch with us at any time via text, uh, you can get in touch with us, 949-542-6241, or... Uh, You can give us a call 949-542-6241 towards the end of the show when we we are taking some calls. We've already got some questions queued up, but uh, we'll try and get to yours and try and get a call or two in if we are able. Okay, John. Well, we've got through a lot of news and moves and all that kind of stuff. Believe it or not, the Bengals have a game this Sunday, uh, (laughs) and it's a pretty important one because of what happened to the Bengals on Sunday, the moves they made this week, as well as what happened with the Steelers on Thursday night against the Panthers. They absolutely shellacked the Panthers, um, a team that the Bengals lost to. So uh, actually both teams, (laughs) the Bengals. (laughs) So, uh, so I mean, now they, they face the Ravens and they have an opportunity not only to keep pace as that number six seed kind of nip at the heels, a little bit of the Steelers, but also knock pretty much for good, the Ravens out of the playoffs. Where we're going to start with this one, John, is it sounds like Joe Flacco may not play in this game, and that is not necessarily good news for the Bengals on a couple of fronts. Number one, the Bengals have had some pretty good success against Joe Flacco. And number two, they have not had good success against rookie quarterbacks and mobile quarterbacks and guys who are both. Uh, Deshaun Watson was a guy who kind of, beat him up a little bit last year. There's a lot of different uh guys we can point to that have that have kind of carved him up all the way back to RG3's rookie year with the Redskins. He had a very good game against them. So you're do are the Bengals in trouble now that they made the switch to Lewis at defensive coordinator and Lamar Jackson might be getting his first start.
1: I just love how us collectively a uh, uh, football media, like we all had like a silent cheer when we figured that Lamar Jackson would finally be starting with Joe Flacco because we don't like the Ravens, but uh, obviously Lamar is a likable guy and Joe Flacco is is just terrible, and that that's why the Bengals have had sex success against the Ravens in recent years. So
0: I, I, let's rewind. Yeah. Right <laughs> I don't even think I'm gonna edit that one out. I I, I, I'm
1: so excited for Lamar time. It's messing <laughs> up with my words, and it's really it's it's really. It's okay. really, 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 um mixing up my my feelings about <laughs> w- where we are in this rivalry. Hey, we we gotta keep gotta keep the composure here, all right?
0: All right, all
1: right. Regardless, Lamar Jackson's an exciting talent. He's got great ability with his legs. Um Wow, it's another sexual innuendo. Um, but yeah, uh the Bengals could be in trouble, There's and so that's why.
0: What's going on with you over there, buddy? <laughs> Let's keep them together here, uh-huh.
1: huh? <laughs> yeah. So when they when Bengals first played the Ravens this this year, I was worried about the package plays that the Ravens could roll out for Lamar, but as we've seen in the eight weeks since that game, the Ravens still know how to use Lamar Jackson even even in the, even as that quarterback um, that that running quarterback, the read option type of guy using him in the triple option, even using him as a receiver in like some crazy plays. the Saints seem to do, seem to be doing the final taste in Hill. And no one was talking about Taysom Hill like they were talking about Lamar Jackson when Lamar Jackson entered the league. So that obviously falls on the Ravens and just their lack of ability to, to scheme him to the best of his ability. So now as a, as a starter, it's hard for anyone to have confidence that they're going to put him in a position to succeed unless they just let him just be a passer. Because contrary to you know what some big draft media guys would say, Lamar Jackson was successful little as a passer. His completion percentage was not always great. But he could sling the ball, and he was accurate downfield for most of the time on a Louisville team that, as we've seen without him, is garbage. So he really carried that Louisville squad. That, that concerns me as you know, we, we're, we're worried about him running all over the Bengals' defense in terms of read option, but this guy is more dangerous as a passer than Joe Flacco is at this point in his career. And the Bengals have always had su- success against Flacco defending him, and they've always ended up winning games against the Ravens, even at Baltimore. So now you have a fresh guy there w- with a much more lively arm could potentially reinvigorate an offense that's struggling, and he could do some damage in ways that maybe Bengals fans don't expect him to. And that's through the year. Obviously, he's going to get yards off of read option because the Bengals, like, uh, they, they 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 just can't do it against like, scrambling quarterbacks, against running quarterbacks. It, it's it's just a consistent problem. And when you don't have maybe three of your starting linebackers out there, it's going to be even worse. So I do. Lamar Jackson is a problem in the sense of who he is, and only the Ravens can limit him. And that would be good for the Bengals as well. And until they prove that they can use them correctly, you know, the Bengals should be in decent in decent shape to stop him.
0: Since starting the season, uh, you know, they they were basically three and one. They beat the Bills pretty handily. Bengals beat them on Thursday night. They beat the Broncos. Uh, they beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh in uh, in week four. So after starting three and one, the Ravens have gone. One in what looks like one in four. Uh, they they lost to the Browns, they beat the Titans, lost to the Saints, lost to the Panthers, and then lost to the Steelers in the rematch there. Uh, so they are on a slide for sure. Aside from that, the Bengals have had, uh, you know, like I said earlier in the show, some very uh, you know, some solid success uh i think someone had said in the chat room haven't they won the last eight in a row definitely not but uh one two three four five six seven eight and three uh since the end of 2013 uh last 11 games the Bengals have an eight and three record against baltimore so a lot you know they, they they feel pretty good about going in there and, and beating, uh, be, whether it's at home or in Baltimore, they feel pretty good about their chances there. Um, what, what do you think is, I mean, Lamar Jackson's kind of the key, the issue with the read option stuff, especially if those three linebackers vigil perfect Brown, are all out or mostly out, um, you know, that could provide some issues, but what is, what is the key this week? Is it just all about Lamar Jackson and the Bengals' defense improving? Um, or is it, you know, like we talked about earlier, the offense getting some consistency and not disappearing for quarters at a time?
1: Yeah, so like like you said, the Ravens are on a slide. And part of that has been because of Flacco. And I think that, you know, they're using this Flacco injury as a chance to really just officially move on to Lamar Jackson. I wouldn't blame them if they did that. But also their defense has been really exploitable of, of late. I think the Panthers and North Turner picked them apart. Obviously the Steelers had success against them. They were at at one point like a top three or top two defense in the NFL, and that's not the case anymore. And they, they've had some major problems on on the defensive side of the ball. And you know, obviously the Bengals had major success with with, with AJ Green specifically in that Week Two game. Without AJ Green, it's got, it's always going to be hard for that offense to move the ball. But the defense isn't as dominant as as it was early in the season, and that's something that you know the Bengals should be able to take advantage of. It's re, it's remain to be seen if they can be a competent offense without AJ Green, even with Tyler Boyd and John Ross in the offense. But on the defense side of the ball, defending Lamar and defending any quarterback who can has a threat to run, just watch the ball. Like ninety percent of these you know these read option plays with the quarterback, ninety percent of the time the quarterback is going to keep the ball. He just has that instinct. To just keep it, make it take advantage of take advantage of defenses, you know, swaying the other way and using his legs. If the Bengals ever give Lamar an extra step on them, he's gonna do extreme damage to them. So it's up to Michael Johnson, Carl Dunlap, Jordan Willis, those reed defenders on the edge to always watch the ball. Don't collapse down on the running back immediately. Don't give Lamar any more of an edge than he already has, because we know that the that the second level defenders, even if they have a safety up in the box, that that they they, they they just can't be trusted on, and they're going to get picked picked apart as well. So it's up to those read edge defenders to just watch the ball collapse down when when you see the ball being pulled away at the mesh point, and that's the only way to stop it. Because if you don't, then it, it then they'll just get ran over. We saw Chris Hogan or not Kevin Hogan do that with the Browns two years ago, and even though the Bengals won that game, Kevin Hogan got almost like a hundred yards as a, as a running quarterback. He's not even close to the running threat that Lamar Jackson is. And, again, a lot of this points back to if the Ravens are able to use him right because they didn't have the gadget player. Now they have him as a starting quarterback. How are they going to mix up you know, th- those type of special packages and whatnot? That's remained to be seen. But both, both sides of the ball need to take advantage of just the Ravens team that's going through a lot of flux right now because as much, as much change as the Bengals are, the Ravens are as well. And you know, their head coach may, may be on the hot seat at the moment. They're, they're, in, a lot of, they're in a lot of hot water and the Bengals have a chance to really make a statement against a team that has a lot going on with them as, as well, and that falls on both sides of the ball. Uh,
0: going back to the offense, A.J. Green has absolutely destroyed the Ravens uh, in his career. Um, you know, it, just just for um, kind of a, you know, we, we always, what's kind of a fun argument, is talking about who's a better receiver, A.J. Green or, or Chad Johnson. Uh, Chad – you know, a lot of people like Chad more. Um, you know, a lot of reasons for that. But I will say this. Chad absolutely disappeared in games, the giant games, especially against the Steelers. Green has shown up way more frequently against the Steelers and and other division teams than Chad has. But um, – I mean, absolutely has dominated the the Ravens. He did it on Thursday night earlier this season. He might not be playing this week. Um, are you confident in the Bengals' offense being able to do some big stuff, uh, whether it's with Mixon, with Ross, um, all that kind of stuff? Are you are you confident that they will still be able to put up points and do things without the guy who has always destroyed Baltimore?
1: I, I'm hesitant, and as I said before, you know this is like Bill Lazor's like true audition to see if he can really carry the offense as a as a as a play caller primarily and secondarily, because j- just in the 11 games now, AJ Green hasn't played for the Bengals. They average well under 20 points. Andy Dalton is obviously way more erratic because the guy that he trusts and has chemistry with more than any other target is not on the field. Not only does he not have Green, doesn't have Eifert, and we saw him kind of force the ball. Uh, against the Saints, for whether it would be to John Ross on Go routes, or maybe to Tyler Boyd, and we saw guys like Uzoma and Erickson not be able to step up in place of Eifert and Green in those specific situations. So it, it, it's just hard to have confidence because if they couldn't do it against the Saints, who again have one of the worst passing defenses in the league, it's hard to see them do it do it against the Ravens because without you know take away AJ Green from that Week Two game, it, it pro- probably goes a lot different because Green had three touchdowns and they won by like two. So. until it happens, you know, it's just, it's just hard to expect it. It's some type of offensive competency without their best player. And obviously he helps. And, you know, it's not an indictment on the offense that they don't do as well without him because that's the value that he brings. And that's, that's basically the difference maker, but it's also, you know, it's a chance for Dalton and laser to really step up and prove that they have value in it in, in themselves because it's a divisional game. It's on the road. It has a lot of playoff implications to it as as we're now into week eleven. They're going to have, you know, at least maybe one or two more games without Green. If if they can start, you know, getting everybody involved in more practical and you know better situations for their individual talents, that it'll be better when Green comes back. And this is, I guess, the week to kind of start that.
0: Yes, this is a big game. This is a big game that a lot, not a lot of people are talking about because the Bengals have been struggling lately, and the Ravens have too. Uh, But this is a big game, both uh, for playoff implications. The Ravens will be fighting for their playoff lives. If they get back to um, around 500 there, you know, they they can kind of do some things. If the Bengals fall to 500, you know, that really muddies the wild card picture up. If the Bengals win, the Steelers are playing the Jaguars, and the Jaguars are not very good this year, not nearly as good as they were last year, but if you remember, they beat the the Steelers twice last year and Mm -hmm. and, uh, really took it to them especially from their defense so um, you know that's an interesting game if some right now the Steelers I I believe are up about a game and a half maybe two games since they won the head to head you know that tie kind of throws everything off but they're uh, I believe they're six two and one and the the Bengals are, are five and four or six something like that so you know they have a handful of games up on the Bengals, but if somehow Pittsburgh loses, Bengals win, that closes that gap and uh, really kind of takes the Ravens out of out of the the playoff picture there. So this is this is an important game. Your prediction, John, on what is going to before we get to listener questions here, your prediction on this game: Will Lewis inspire the defense enough to play better? And to will he come up with a scheme to potentially corral Lamar Jackson should he start? I will say this before you answer, uh, because there's been some questions about it in the live YouTube chat. Uh, Fontes Perfect did practice in a limited basis on Wednesday, so he might be back this week. Darquez Denard did also practice in a limited basis for the first time in a while. He might be back this week. But as I mentioned, Preston Brown did not practice uh, as of Wednesday. And Dre Kirkpatrick is still in concussion protocol. So those are a couple of starters to watch as well. So um your predictions based on that sort of stuff and this whirlwind week <laughs> so far that we've had, John.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Perfect because obviously he's n- not only the like this the the raw rah guy on the defense that kind of that kind of gets everybody going, but he's also very close to Marvin Lewis. Like you said, he has a special connection with him. So if he if he does play Lewis is going to get 110 percent out of him, but also the Vontaze Burfict that we've seen this year has not been good at all, and nope. he still and he still comes with the antics that obviously we are rightful to criticize him for. So, the, the, if Burfick's on the field at this point, he's a liability, and that's that's tough for us to say, but that's just kind of the truth. But I guess if there's anybody to really you know get hit, get his head out of his butt, it's probably Marvin Lewis at this point. I, I guess that kind of goes for. The rest of the defense as well. You know, I think there there will be some some sort of rally behind Lewis as a play caller, as the leader of the defense. Obviously, they weren't very keen with Austin towards the end, going up against the the team that he was a defensive coordinator for when he won the Super Bowl. There's going to be a lot of high fine emotions, I guess, and I I think that will favor the Bengals. And the, the, the statement would be a lot more easier to say if AJ Green was playing, but the Bengals are more talented than the Ravens, even if they haven't been playing like it, because the Ravens are just sliding at even more of a pace than the Bengals are. So if A.J. Green was playing, I would guarantee you a, a victory in this game because they're playing a rookie quarterback who's making his first start just because there could be some re- re- rejuvenations on the defensive side of the ball. The no A.J. Green variable just makes this very difficult and will probably make this game a one-score game throughout the whole game. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's just hard to, to say with any conviction – but I think that until we see the Bengals' offense prove themselves without AJ Green, we just can't expect them to put up anything more than just something in the, the low twenties. So, with that said, I think it's going to be a close matchup throughout the entire game. But I, I think the Ravens squeak out a win. You're very close, probably probably low scoring. I think the, the running game will, will will continue to look good with Joe Mixon, but I it, the, the the offense it, it, it's just it just can't be counted on to be good. Without AJ Green, and I do think that Lasers going to do some good things, but just won't last throughout the whole game. And I, 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 I think we're looking at something in the teens here, and something where the Ravens maybe win, you know, on like the last drive or whatever. I don't think that the Ravens again are the better team in this scenario. I just think that no AJ Green makes such a difference, and it's just hard for me to say with any confidence that they're going to be able to put up enough points to win. And I just don't think we're going to see that just yet.
0: Yeah, I I mean I think either the Lewis the Lewis situation is either going to be an absolute disaster in the in the early parts of when he's doing this or it's going to be the the catalyst to to some nice changes. I you know I, I I don't know how big but it could be like I said it can't get much worse on that side of the ball at this point. I don't blame you for I'm a little surprised you picked the Ravens, but I, and I don't blame you. I, I think I, at times I've picked this series to be split this year. Um, I don't know. I, I just kind of feel like Baltimore is against the ropes. Cincinnati's kind of got their back against the wall as well. Um, I'm worried about Bill Lazor. And granted, the game got out of hand early and quickly last week. But I'm worried when he was in – I believe it was miami he was kind of run out of that position and i had pun intended by not running the ball <laughs> yeah. um, and last week even though the game got out of hand and all of that it, joe mixon had 11 carries and but he had like a 5.5 yards per carry average or something like that i mean he it, that with aj green out with tyler croft out with tyler eifert out and joe mixon having a far better year in terms of yards per carry this year than he did last year it is imperative that they get that guy 20 plus touches a game it is absolutely imperative and I like Giov- Giovanni Bernard but I love the tweet you had that you you did I, I think this this week John where you talked about the what was it the, the third and three run with him it mm-hmm. doesn't work the play just does not work and uh, it's imperative this week that Bill Lazor relies on Joe Mixon far more heavily than he has uh, in, in these other lo- ugly losses, and um, I think he does. I think the Bengals probably pull out a, a, a just a. I think it's going to be a butt ugly game, to be honest with you. Not fun to watch. Um, I do worry about the Lamar Jackson effect, the unfamiliarity with him, but. I also have seen a lot of Ravens football over in, in my time, especially in the Joe Flacco era. They are a team that either explodes for 30 to 40 points or they cannot get into the end zone at all, and that's why they love Justin Tucker. I'm going to say 20 to 16 Bengals in a just a not a fun game to watch probably. But yeah. uh, <laughs> that's, that's my take. I would not be surprised if it went the other way, like what you said as well, close. Maybe Baltimore pulls it out. I don't know if that means Bengals season is un- is unraveling at that point um, because of the weaker games on the schedule from there, but we'll see. And uh, hopefully Cincinnati writes the ship with all these changes they made this week uh, and and maybe getting some of these guys back. We'll see. This is the Orange Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We thank you for joining us this week. And for those of you who are joining us live, we thank you for um, downloading the program and John uh just so you know jeff jeff andy in the live youtube chat says gave up 50 points question mark doesn't matter comma had sex so uh you know just a little tip of the cap and i for those for those of you who download the podcast and maybe if you're listening in in the car with some young children you can you can turn the volume down at certain points in the show it's okay you can turn uh, it back up gonna the filters <laughs> on we got We got to give you a look. It, it reminds me of the ESPN Sports Center thing from a few years back—the uh, bulging disc in in the back. And if you haven't seen that, we'll, we'll go with that and just go go YouTube it. It was it's pretty funny. Uh, but anyway, you can get this show—a high class show. You can get it on on YouTube, on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Art Nineteen, and at cincyjungle.com. Uh, who knows how much longer we'll be on that on those platforms based on what we're doing tonight. But it's all good. It's all good. John, I I appreciate your your contributions. <laughs> you know that. Uh we're going to get to some listener questions in just in just a second. Here we've already got a couple queued up. If you want yours uh, uh answered on the air you can leave it in the live YouTube chat. You can give us a call or shoot us a text nine four nine five four two six two four one call or text uh We're going to try and get to those because, like I said, we've already got a couple queued up, but uh, we'll try and keep our eye on the phone. I wanted to get to this one first, John, because this was, uh, I I would assume, a listener who has listened to the show for quite some time. But they made the comment. It is the first time they are able to join the show live. Uh, which is cool. And I definitely appreciate that given my screw up yesterday in terms of misleading some of the listeners. Um, it was in the Cincy Jungle comment thread. It's from Jim and Redding. Uh, first time streaming live. Does Jackson's return make you think he's next in line for the head coach? Um, we talked about that a little bit, but also kind of a little, if you want to reiterate your thoughts on that, John, I'll take that, but also the little caveat here, secretly hoping Todd Bowles is our next defensive coordinator. He might be on the hot seat in New York. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, well, well, hold on a second. He, he responded, guess is not a secret anymore. Did Todd Bowles just get fired?
0: I don't know. I didn't look that up. I... Wait, hold on a second.
1: Ah, uh, n- n- never mind. Um. Anyways, yeah, Todd Bowles he had success obviously in Arizona. That's what got him the job with w- with the Jets. But I just I don't follow the Jets, and I've heard literally no nothing good about him in terms of how he's handled the offense. And um, he's had talent on the defense. A lot of that was uh, part of uh, like an Exodus uh, in the in the roles of of Muhammad Wilkerson, Sheldon Richardson, obviously Leonard Williams, a good player. So he's had decent talent on the defense, but. I think right now the jets are raveling and he's been on the hot seat for like two years. So, you know, there, there, there are, there are some coaches who are just better as coordinators than they are head coaches. And we probably have one at head coach for the last 16 years, but bulls would probably fit in that category as well. Um, uh, it, it, when he was with Arizona, he did a lot of good things. And that, again, that's what got him the head, head coaching job in the first place. But, um, yeah, he, he's, he's kind of like a proven guy who's you know, had a lot of years in the league and, Obviously has a lot of a lot of experience, and sometimes the you know you just need a role to kind of humble yourself, and th- that that may be the role for Bowles. He's probably lasted in Denver longer than I think a lot of us expected he would, based off how everything's going. I don't remember last time the Jets had a winning season. It might might have been like in the Mark Sanchez era, but yeah, Bowles would be a, a, like a, like a decent candidate for a new defense coordinator. I'm usually of the notion of bringing some more younger guys in to to kind of lead the charge of innovation and just how defenses and offenses are evolving. But yeah, bowls would be bowls would be a good choice. And obviously you guys, you guys know of my thoughts about Hugh Jackson. So I'll just yeah. leave my thoughts of that.
0: Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll concentrate more on the second part of the question from Jim. Um, yeah. Like you said, Bowles, uh one of the, seems like one of the all time nice guys in the league, uh, mm. you know, and like some of the other all time, nice guys in the league, Wade Phillips, they are better coordinators than they are head coaches yeah. uh, you know and we talked a little bit about that potentially being the case with Hugh Jackson as well being a better coordinator than a than a head coach i mean it's just kind of what what's what history has pointed to um you know, a lot of people also – by the way, some of the stuff with Todd Bowles, it doesn't look like he's going to be fired during the season. He'll probably if, – if the Jets don't turn things around, he might get fired after the season. So he will right. be out there. The other guy that might be out there that, again, has ties to the Bengals and Marvin Lewis is Vance Joseph in Denver. Um, defensive guy, he might not last after this season as well. So those are guys that make sense. I'm going to say this about Bowles, though. Bowles has primarily run a 3-4 defensive look at both in Arizona and in New York, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so the Bengals need to switch up some personnel and, and what they do, or Bowles would have to change his philosophy, um, I think, if he were to come to Cincinnati. So that's something to think about uh, if he were to, to come there. Uh, I'm not intimately familiar with the Jets' Uh what they run, but I, I'm almost positive at times Arizona ran a lot of three, four under his, uh, under his watch. So Mm -hmm. something to think about. Um, there was one other question I saw. Oh no, I remember what it was. Duh. Uh, it was actually, there was one on, on Twitter. And I think it was more again about, uh, it was about (laughs) Hugh. Shocker. Um, Fire and Brimstone, I I don't know. They follow us, and I think they kind of follow a lot of different podcasts and a lot of different teams and stuff. But they said, question, what do Hugh Jackson, Norv, Turner, Matt, Patricia have in common? Answer, great position coach, not so great head coach. Good pickup for the Bengals. Um, Do you agree with that? Uh, And and we just talked about position coaches and everything and better assistant than than head coach. I mean, it's easy to say that with Hugh because the – You know, the what is it, the three wins in three seasons with Cleveland, but he also did a lot of things in Oakland. They were eight and eight. He lost his starting quarterback, got Carson Palmer, all that kind of stuff, Um, was run out of town there. They were buying for the playoffs. And most people who know about the Bengals and their shortcomings as an organization probably also know the issues, similar issues with the Raiders and their ownership and all of that. Yeah, they spent some money, but they're kind of a mess in a lot of aspects as well. So there's a little under-the-surface stuff with Hugh Jackson as a head coach. But overall, I I mean, I don't want to make you repeat yourself a ton of times, but just some additional thoughts on that and if he should just remain a coordinator or position coach and he can be successful in that route.
1: Well, the only again, the only organization will ever get another head coaching job is here. So if he wants to prove himself for the third time, this is the place to do it. But with Hugh, I, I kind of think that that Oakland season was an anomaly because um, I, I think someone said this in either, since the your own comments around Twitter. Hugh is not the coach that you want – or you know, it was Captain Obvious, the the, the renowned, um, well-known Bengals fan who goes a lot of games. He said that Hugh Jackson is not the, the, the kind of coach that you want to really start things from scratch. He's kind of the guy that maybe to take over a team that's Kind of already established that has a culture going. He's not the kind of guy that would that you would want to bring his own culture. And I guess if you want to say that Cleveland's like the worst place for him to do that, then fine, so be it. Regardless, he didn't handle himself at all well, and that's still something I'm not willing to forgive. But it's kind of like that the opposite of like Marvin Lewis, right? Because Marvin Lewis did a great job of bringing in his own culture to the Bengals and making them at least somewhat competitive after they were just garbage for 12 years. So he's kind of like the opposite of Marvin Lewis in the sense where he can potentially get you from point B to C while Marvin Lewis can get you from like A to B. But regardless, you know, his personality, it just doesn't, you know, rub off to me as like the, the the kind that people want to follow behind as a leader. And I think that obviously that bodes well for Morris as an assistant role or just like an understudy or whatever you want to say, or just as a coordinator. So obviously Hugh has capped his, maximum ability as a coach, as a coordinator, and he and again he did that in 2015 with a very healthy offense, a very potent offense, an offense that he didn't really have much part in building, and he just kind of just maximized you know very great talents to the best of their ability. And I don't think that that's too impressive considering when the Bengals didn't have a lot of talent in 2014, a lot of that was injured. They didn't do very well, and it's just the it's just the fact that more guys were healthy in 2015. And he was just able to do whatever he wanted because he just had talent to work with. So, j- just with all those things, yeah, um, Jackson is obviously better as a coordinator because he just has less responsibilities as a leader and as a voice of that locker room. And there's less margin for error for him to really royally screw things up and leave a burning building behind.
0: I like that uh, that take of um, that take of you know. Jackson's a guy who can kind of carry the torch maybe as a head coach, uh, whereas Lewis is a guy that can – and he, we've seen him do it. He's re, basically rebuilt the Bengals three times at least mm-hmm. in, his, in his tenure with the Bengals and made them successful. Um, but, again, he's not the guy to really win those big games, win the playoff games, get a championship. So um, I, I I don't know, and that's that's kind of the conundrum I think Mike Brown has been – uh, trying to figure out with Lewis and all of that. Um, uh, there's not much more to say. we talked a lot about Hugh Jackson. There's not much more to say, and I, we can cross the bridge, I guess, later on when, um, you know, if and when he is named a, a head coach of this team. Um, we're really running, running up on time. Uh, I, I guess we'll end with this because this is a good question from Andrew Andrew Seiler, good friend in the live YouTube chat. Do you guys do you guys think this defense has the talent to turn it around? And do you think it was all on Austin? Now, obviously, the talent to turn it around probably has to do with injuries. We talked a lot about defense and, and maybe what's ahead. But, I mean, do you think that, again, can't be much worse, but do you think there's going to be a noticeable difference in tackling? noticeable difference in getting off the field on third down a noticeable difference in body language which I saw was very has been very poor uh, recently on that side of the ball do you think that that stuff is going to change and if so is that just basically a general indictment on Terrell Austin
1: so it, yeah to like like you said injuries have played a monumental part and in- Diminishing what talent was on this team at the start of the season because a lot of us thought hey This is a top five defensive line This is one of the better secondaries in the league with just the individual talent there And those two things are going to carry the linebackers who are largely improvement So now in terms of tackling getting better that probably doesn't happen until nick vigil gets back on the field He's been their best linebacker this season Getting off the field on third down has a lot to do with their pass rush which has taken a step back since Carl Lawson has torn his acl so that's another injury that they have to deal with. And just general body language, I do think that that will probably improve, at least in the, in the early on, with Austin out the door and the players playing for Marvin Lewis rather than Austin, someone that they like, and obviously all, all that. But, yeah, injuries are playing a, a large part in detrimenting what this defense once was. And it's really hard to really turn that around 10 weeks into the season. But, again, if anybody can do that, it's probably Lewis. But he's he's going to have to get some of those guys back He's probably going to get Denard back. He needs uh, Kirkpatrick to be healthy from his concussion. They need to get they need to get Nick Vigil back because he really has carried the linebacking core when he's on the field. And again, like we w- said before, if Nick Vigil's your best linebacker, you're not you know you still have issues there. So you know the defensive line still has work to do in terms of compensating without Lawson. I think that's probably the biggest issue that they have is that you know they're one of the they are the worst third down defense in the NFL because they just can't, you know, pressure the quarterback to make a bad decision on that money down. And if they can't do that, then the back seven gets eaten up. And then if you can't make those crucial tackles, you know, shore the sticks, those are, that's just first downs piling up and piling up. I think the saints had like 20 or something in the first half. Something, it was something ridiculous. And a lot of it had to do with breeze, not getting anybody in his face and just finding guys with open spaces, because he just had all the time in the world to do that. So it, it, Lewis is going to, have to get really creative in terms of how he pressures each quarterback week to week. And I'm glad obviously that they, that he has some rehashing tackling drills because that has been an issue when you don't have your best linebacker out there. That's always going to be uh, something to work on.
0: Yeah. I loved, uh, I loved the, um, the tweet you put out this week. Uh, I think it was yesterday actually. Um, and I, it looked like you grabbed the video clip maybe from uh, either all 22 or or something like that. Um, And many of you follow John and I will recommend you do so on Twitter. If you are on Twitter at John underscore Sheeran, Uh, basically there's a video clip says my questions are endless. Gino at Edge, (laughs) Hubbard and Brown defending the same spot. Jackson just conceding the first down Yeah, I mean that, and the reason I bring that up and we don't need to third down. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's what, it's what we've seen this year and you go, what? And it's kind of like the thing with Paul Gunther where he would put like Carlos Dunlap in coverage, uh, you know, and you're kind of going, well, that just doesn't even make sense. So um, I'm hoping that some of that stuff is not going to take place. I'm hoping that Marvin Lewis, I, I worry about him dumbing down the defense so much that it becomes predictable. But if he can simplify things and get guys reacting and using instincts more Then thinking so much, if that was the problem, then, you know, there's a lot of athletes on that side of the ball. So that'll be good. We got to get out of here. We, I I appreciate there was another nice comment from diehard Barton. Uh, We, we did answer the questions a lot about Marvin taking over and his time as defensive coordinator. So I don't want to repeat that, but thanks for the nice comment. Barton about following us for a long time. Uh, hope you keep doing that. You can get this show on art 19 on YouTube, on iTunes, on Google play stitcher and at cincyjungle.com. We're going to get out of here, John, final thoughts. That's
1: so what happens when you do this stuff live, man, it, 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 sometimes things just pop out, but appreciate you guys, um, coming in on, you know, uh, sort of, a, sort of a late show, but glad you guys have stuck around through all the tor- turmoil that has been going on. Um, uh, some of you may know I, I help out with a YouTube channel called DNH Sports, and just at this time last year when the Bengals were really bad, uh, we started getting a lot less views and whatnot, and it just it wasn't really enjoyable to do because you know the the engagement from you know a good portion of our subscriber base kind of kind of fell off because the team wasn't doing very well. But you know I'm glad that on the show we have listeners that come in a- every single week and really show out, really participate, and even when the Bengals aren't you know four and one, like they were now they're five and four, but there's still a good level of engagement. That's obviously fun for us to continue to do this. So even when the Bengals aren't doing so well, the show continues to to thrive based off of, of its loyal subscriber base. And I'm really appreciative of that and it helps us keep, keep going even when the Bengals are struggling.
0: Yeah, I have to echo that. And it's, it's hard to believe I, I say this, I mean, it kind of is a joke, but I say it seriously. It's hard to believe that people actually care yeah about about what i have to say and whatever about the Bengals. i mean it's it's so flattering that they enjoy our show it's so flattering that they enjoy our analysis our commentary and uh because of that that's that's a big part of what makes it fun yeah we're passionate about the Bengals, and yeah uh you know we like writing about them talking about them and all that kind of stuff but without you guys it's just john and i and it would still be fun, John. I still like you as well, but it would just be John and I talking to each other like a phone conversation, you know, bitching about whatever is going on with the bangles and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you guys make it interactive. You guys make it fun. So definitely got to echo your sentiments on that. And, uh, also tough, tough week for comic book fans because the legend Stan Lee passed away this week. And, uh, yeah, big, big ups there. Uh, really cool dude. Very, um uh, God, I, I, if I had lived in 95, I hope I'd get around as good as that guy. He's in movies and all kinds of stuff, doing cameos and uh, all kinds of stuff. So uh, he lived an awesome life. And for those who are big comic book geeks and or love the Marvel Universe movies, um, Big Loss uh, obviously is kind of more of a figurehead at this point. But, uh, you know – makes you appreciate what he, the, the, the empire, I guess, that he created in that and all, all the movies that came from his imaginative mind and the minds of a lot of others. So, uh, RIP Stanley, but, uh, enjoyed all your stuff, my friend. That was awesome. John, appreciate it. Let's get you out of here. I know it's late on your end. And, uh, once again, I apologize to you and to the listeners about the past couple of days starting late and some different, tricks i've been pulling but appreciate you hanging in there appreciate the listeners joining us submitting questions all that stuff let's hope for a Bengals win over the ravens write the ship let's hope lewis has a little uh has some tricks to pull out of his uh magic hat there and uh get the Bengals to, to six and 4 and in the ship for john sheeran i'm anthony kazenza we will see you next episode thanks again Good day